In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. How easily we forget that the devil is our greatest enemy. And this, at least here in the West, seems to be by design. The devil's greatest trick has been convincing us that he doesn't exist. If the sheep are no longer aware of the wolf, how much easier for the wolf. And in our scientific age, it is perhaps science that has most blinded us to this reality. We attribute sickness to germs and disasters to climate change and war to poor diplomacy. We attribute economic loss to the stock market, bad laws to crooked politicians, and whatever ails us to the ineptitude of government. But all of these causes to which we point are quite penultimate. In the scriptures, we are taught something deeper than science can teach, deeper than what the human mind of itself can grasp. We are taught to look through penultimate causes to the ultimate cause, and there we will find the devil. From the beginning of history to its end, from the beginning of the Bible to its end, there is one ultimate cause of all evil. It was the devil who first led our race into rebellion against God and God's ordering of creation. It was the devil who led us into sin and through sin into all manner of suffering, making us subject even to death and eternal separation from God and all his blessings. When the devil corrupted our bodies, all matter became subject to his corruption. We were made by God to have lordship over God's physical creation. And so when we gave ourselves to the devil's hand, we gave physical creation into his hand. So much so that the scriptures even call him the small g, God of this world. Luther reminds us in the large catechism of the ongoing role of the devil as the ultimate cause of all evil that we see. Whatever penultimate causes we might point to and argue about, there is only one ultimate cause. For all the devil's thoughts and desire, Luther writes, is to deprive us of all that we have from God and hinder it. He is not satisfied to obstruct and destroy spiritual government by leading souls astray with his lies and bringing them under his power. He also prevents and hinders the stability of all government and honorable, peaceable relations on earth. There he causes so much contention, murder, treason, and war. And aren't these the very things that we see today in our own country? Contention and division, murder, including the mass murder of the unborn, treasonous acts by individuals, corporations, and government officials, and war, not only external physical bloodshed, but a war on sanity, war on basic fundamental concepts of right and wrong, war on basic fundamental biology, 
war against both sexes, turning men into women and women into men, and both into beasts and batteries. It is war against reality itself, and it is war against humanity. The devil seeks no greater worship of himself than the suicide of the human race, for we are made in the likeness and image of God. Again, the devil's active role in the affairs of the world is taught in the catechism because it's considered basic Christian doctrine, which every Christian must know. We must learn to look through the penultimate causes and see that it is the devil who causes all things that destroy, including, as the catechism notes, lightning, hail, fire, flood, poison, plague, livestock disease, famine, wicked men, and so forth. In short, the devil is sorry if anyone has a morsel of bread from God and eats it in peace. But at least in part, the reason why we, don't, why we modern Christians don't want to acknowledge the devil is not only that we're somewhat embarrassed of this truth, it's also that we fear things being taken out of our control. If it is the devil who is ultimately responsible, how on earth are we to do anything about that? And so we're mostly afraid that, quote, blaming everything on the devil will lead to quietism, inaction, and despair. But that can only be true if we have forgotten who we are and what our central and all-important vocation is. When Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and the Spirit descended upon him and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. No sooner had Jesus received the Spirit and the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit because he makes things holy. And so the devil may be called the unholy spirit because he makes things unholy. So the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into battle against the unholy spirit. This unholy spirit tempts Jesus in the wilderness first, then in the holy city on the temple, and then once more on a mountaintop. He tempts Jesus in ways deeper than we can fully understand, and yet much of it we can understand. He tempts Jesus to doubt his Father's word. He tempts Jesus to doubt his identity. He tempts Jesus to doubt his Father's love and provision. He tempts Jesus to be fearful of death. So too we see that he tempts Jesus with eating, just as he once tempted Adam and Eve. And he tempts Jesus with lack of food, as he once tempted Israel in the wilderness. Then his attack becomes even more sophisticated. He quotes scripture tempting Jesus to misunderstand and misapply God's word, following it in a crooked way. He tempts Jesus to make God prove himself. He tempts Jesus to put God to the test, just as Israel did in the wilderness. 
Third and finally, the devil tempts Jesus with all the kingdoms and wealth of the world. And perhaps it's the case that this temptation is the most sinister, that the devil is tempting Jesus to accomplish his goals without the cross, without the horrors of scourging and crucifixion, as if to say, you came for the world, I'll give it all to you, if only you will worship me. Much more could be said, but Jesus was tempted beyond what we are able, and he, as true man, prevailed against the devil. Where Adam and Eve failed, where Israel failed, where we have failed, Jesus Christ, true man and flesh of our flesh, won the victory over the devil. And he did so, not merely by force of will, but by full reliance on the word of God. Three times the devil threw major multifaceted attacks at him, and three times Jesus replied on the written word of his God and Father. So St. Paul will later write that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. When Jesus went to war with the devil, it was precisely this sword that he wielded. Christ Jesus alone has defeated the devil and won salvation for us. He defeated the devil in the wilderness, in the holy city, and on the mountaintop. But most definitively of all, he would defeat the devil on Golgotha, the place of the skull. The devil had brought sin into the world, and so by the shedding of his holy blood, Jesus makes atonement for all sins. The devil brought death into the world, and so by his own death, Jesus destroyed death once and for all. The devil brought eternal separation from God and from all his blessings, and so by enduring separation from God himself, Jesus brought us back to God. And from the wounds of Jesus flowed God's richest blessings. From his side come the water of baptism and the blood that flows into the chalice, that through these we become and are the children of God. Christians. And if Christ is fundamentally against the devil, then we Christians are fundamentally against the devil. And if Christ has power over the devil, then we Christians share in his power over the devil. This is why St. Peter writes, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Think of that. The devil will flee, will run away from you. Just as our Lord was baptized, received the Spirit, and was driven into conflict with the devil, so it is for us. We are baptized. We have received the Holy Spirit, and now we are driven into conflict with the devil. This is our primary calling and vocation as Christians. 
Let doctors fight the germs, and engineers fight disasters, and good politicians fight corruption, and the good government fix the economy so that we can have bread to eat, and may they defend us from bodily harm. But our primary job as Christians, your primary vocation and calling as a Christian, is not related to penultimate causes but to the ultimate cause. You are here to wage war against the devil and his kingdom. Lent is a wake-up call. It's a bucket of ice-cold baptismal water to the face of our apathy. You are at war. You are standing against the ultimate cause of evil in this world. And what you say and don't say, and what you do and don't do, matters. We tremble not, for Christ who has conquered the devil for us is with us. We are the baptized. We are the holy Christian church. We are the ones clothed in God's holy armor with shield of faith and sword of the Spirit in our hands. We are the ones whom God has made warriors of light against the powers of darkness in this place. We are the ones whom God has made holy priests to present our bodies as living sacrifices in holy war, to offer prayers and intercessions that will literally hinder and drive the devil and all his hordes away. We have been called to repent and mourn and pray, and not only for ourselves and for our sins, but on behalf of all people. Our weapons are the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus, giving all that we can financially to support the work of the church. We are made strong by attending to preaching and teaching and by receiving the sacraments. Our weapons are almsgiving and prayer and fasting. We are given to sacrifice, to enact grace, to make others strong and to strengthen the hands of those around us. Our weapons are repentance, confidence, humility, and obedience. For a broken and contrite heart, our God does not despise. It is the first Sunday of Lent. It is a wake-up call. It is time to take your primary calling and vocation seriously. It is time for a fresh start. Do not sit in the seat of scoffers. Our Lord does not teach these things in vain. He does not make us immortal in this world so that we might twiddle our thumbs or try to become successful in the world's eyes. He makes us immortal so that we would not fear death so that we would not fear Satan and all the evil things that he brings, so that we would stand against him ourselves 
and teach others to do the same. Our Lord Jesus baptizes us into his own death and resurrection so that though we die, yet shall we live. And even now we walk in newness of life, unafraid of the devil, the economy, the coronavirus, the circumstances, the diagnosis, the losses, or whatever else the devil would use to make us tremble. In baptism, we have received the Holy Spirit that we might engage in war with this unholy spirit, reminding him of our Christ and reminding him that we are Christians. And so as we commune today, we will sing the hymn that Luther sang, when the devil brought the plague to Luther's own town. Though hordes of devils fill the land, all threatening to devour us, we tremble not, unmoved we stand, they cannot overpower us. Let this world's tyrant rage, in battle we'll engage. His might is doomed to fail, God's judgment must prevail. One little word subdues him, God's word forever shall abide. No thanks to foes who fear it. For God himself fights by our side with weapons of the Spirit. Were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom's ours forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.